Amen. You guys can have a seat. And if you're here for the first time with us today, know that we're so thankful that you're with us. We truly um, value you, and we, wanted, we would love to get to know you. Um, you know, and one other thing uh, before we get started, Kids Week. You know, it is in a week and a half. I want to encourage you guys to be inviting your friends. Um, you know, we have already passed last year's registration, um, so that's really exciting for us. Yeah. Um, and, and we also still need more volunteers, so if you're able to volunteer, we'd love to uh, talk with you about that. Um, and, and I'll say this, y'all, Kids Week, it's a lot of fun. It's exciting. But our text today, not so much. <laughs> um, no, it's not fun and exciting, but yes, it is much needed. And it's for our good. Today's passage is on Judas the betrayer. This is not easy, and it's not so much fun. But unfortunately, I think we all at some level understand and we can relate to this passage. You know, one of the many reasons that we preach through books of the Bible it's because it forces us to preach and teach hard texts like this one. These, these, this text doesn't draw and wow a crowd. It forces us to deal with hard truths and hard realities, and it helps us to quickly understand that this life is not full of uh, gumdrops and lollipops. And that uh, when we walk through books a few verses at a time, uh, we see that the Bible, it certainly doesn't teach that. It doesn't paint that picture. Because as we started to see last week, and we'll see more fully today, uh, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And today we deal with this idea of, a, of betrayal. Again, it's not fun and exciting. But is it real life? Yes. You know, I think every person in this room at some point in their life has dealt with some sort of betrayal. Having someone that you know and trust turn their back on you or reject you, either by a friend or a spouse or a relative or a coworker. You know, this is unfortunately, this is just the world that we live in. And if Jesus... The Son of God, who never did any wrong, was betrayed. We, too, should also expect the same. And why? Because the enemy is real. Satan is a deceiver and is out seeking to lure as many people as he can away from Jesus. And what, if, what is one of Satan's many tactics? He makes hearts hard and cold. But yet in that, we'll see that Jesus still showed love to his betrayer. And last week, we saw, we saw that Jesus served Judas by washing Judas' feet, washing the feet of his betrayer. And this week, with our main idea, we're going to ask the question, how does Jesus interact with a hard heart? And to answer that question, we're going to have two contrasting points, the heart, seeing the heart of Judas, the betrayer, and number two, the heart of Jesus, the Messiah. And as we work through our passage and answer this question of how Jesus interacts, interacts with a hard heart and look at these two points, I think we also uh, will get a window into the making of a hard heart. You know, if I were to give this sermon a title, I would call it Signs of a Hard Heart, uh, which could also be our main idea. But the reason that's not our main idea today is because Jesus is the hero today and not hard-hearted Judas. Uh, the point of today is not, don't be like Judas. No, the purpose of today is to exalt Jesus in his betrayal. Because like I've said, we all at some level understand betrayal. And I, know, and I don't know many people that think, oh yeah, I, I, I want to uh, be a betrayer. Like that's my goal in life. Like I don't know many people that think I want to stab my friends in the back. While at the same time, we need to understand that betrayal is something we all do and also receive. And what I hope to show us is that betrayal often, it doesn't happen in an instant. But rather, it, it, it ha often happens through subtle changes of heart. And if I stand up here and say, let's be uh, nice and respectable people and not be like Judas, then I've totally missed it. 
Like, that's not Christianity. No, that's like a religious moralism. Our goal today is to exalt Jesus, not put down Judas. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we are all more like Judas than we may want to admit. Now, I'm not going to call us all Judases today, because that's not right and, and, or even fair. But we certainly do have Judas tendencies. And what, what happened with Judas, if we're not careful, it can also happen with us too. And so what should we be looking for? Like, what are these Judas tendencies? Like, this isn't, this isn't a fun text, right? But again, this is very much a warning for us today because we need to be aware of how our hearts can creep into coldness and hardness that can lead to betraying those that we're close to. And what makes this interaction with Judas unique, I think, is the subtleness of Jesus' response. While he's in the process of being betrayed, while fully aware that all of it is happening, showing the heart of Jesus. And so if you've come in today, and rejection or betrayal or on your heart, whether big or small, from a a spouse or a child or a friend or a boss, I hope that by looking at the heart of Jesus in his betrayal that we can all find encouragement today. Yes, we will look at the heart of Judas as a warning, but as we look at the heart of Christ, I pray that our hearts will be warmed into greater worship today. So again, if you've been betrayed, I pray you will uh, find encouragement, but also if you haven't been the one betrayed recently, I do hope that by looking at Judas, we can see warning signs to be on the lookout so that we don't have a subtle creep that leads us to some sort of betrayal. Because sin and betrayal, they gradually grow slowly. And often without realizing. This is just what happens. And as we think about this subtle creep, I was reminded as I, as I was thinking about this of a story. And about five years ago, um, there was a man by the name of Michael Hodge uh, that loved lions so much that he moved to South Africa to be closer to them. And so for about 10 years, Michael, Michael Hodge, the man, uh, he cared for several different lions. And he would bottle feed these lions as babies. Uh, They would sleep in his bed, and he would wake up with these lions, like, licking his face. And then one day, while he was outside of one of these full-grown lions, uh, the lion that he bottle fed, it turned on him and almost killed him. And yes, they ended. uh, They ended up shooting and killing the lion in order to save the man's life. uh, But it put the man in the hospital almost dead. This man got used to uh, playing and interacting with lions. And that lion that he fed, when it grew up, it turned on him and almost killed him. And as we think about this subtle creep of sin and the hardness of heart, uh, this is how sin and betrayal, this is how they often work. They start out like cute little cuddly baby lions that seem innocent being bottle fed. And the next thing you know, the cute innocent lion is turning on you trying to kill you. That's what sin does. It, stands, uh, it, it starts out very subtle and then it grows and will kill you. And as the Puritan writer John Owen has said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Okay, so I've never, I've never killed a lion, but I like to think it's easier to kill a baby lion than a full-grown lion. Okay, so if you don't like the idea of killing uh, baby lions, then um, I think of those like poke, little Pokemon cards um, that I find all over my house, okay? Um, you know what happens to those cute little Pokemon baby dragons? Those little cute baby dragons, they grow up and they morph and they become fire-breathing dragons that are made to kill and destroy. Okay, I was actually corrected this week. Apparently, Pokemon, they don't kill. Uh, But you do get the idea. And so what's the moral of the story? Kill the small baby dragons in your life before they grow up and kill you. 
okay? And just like I've never killed a lion, I know it's hard to believe, but I've also actually never killed a dragon. But if I were a dragon slayer, I'd like to think, just like a baby lion, it's easier to kill a baby dragon than a fire-breathing dragon. And as we, see the, as we see with the life of Judas, we see that he didn't kill the baby lions and the baby dragons in his life. No, he let those baby lions and dragons, he let them grow up, and then you know what they did? They turned on him, leading him to betray Jesus. And so New City, as we look at the heart of Judas, I hope that it will lead us and compel us to be really good dragon slayers and lion killers. Again, kill sin or it may kill you. And so what's the trick? Uh, we kill it when it's small. Don't wait till it's full grown, a uh, full grown fire breathing dragon or a man eating lion of sin. So that's our picture today, okay? Uh, we're killing baby lions and dragons in our life. And so that said, let's go ahead and read our entire text, and then we're going to dive into our first point. And we're going to start where we ended last week. We're going to have some overlap. Look starting in verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, but what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And so let's quickly remember what's going on here. Jesus, he's at this meal with his disciples uh, the Thursday before his crucifixion on Friday. And we just saw last week that Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, encouraging both them and us to live in service to one another. And again, we saw last week that the author emphasized that Judas was there, showing us that Jesus washed his feet, seeing Jesus serve Judas, his betrayer. And then as we just read, it says in verse 21, it says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, knowing that Judas would betray him, which, let me add, is very encouraging to read. Because it would be very easy to see Jesus as stoic and unfazed by Judas' betrayal. But that's not the case. No, Jesus was troubled by it. Jesus was stirred to an unsettling emotion that did not feel good. And he did not like it. Which again is so encouraging. Because it gives us the freedom to not live in a fake veneer of Christianity. That says something, everything has to be great all the time. Again, we don't have to act like our life is a road full of gumdrops and lollipops because it's just not. A full life is a life that has hardship and trouble and betrayal 
And if Jesus was not okay and was troubled, we too have the freedom to not be okay and to also be troubled. Hear that today. Like, it is okay to not be okay. (laughs) Jesus felt his feelings. No, he did not stay in them, and he wasn't overtaken by them, but he certainly did not scurry past them. Again, it says he was troubled in verse 21. And then right after that, he said in the same verse, One of you will betray me. Which leads us to our first point as we see, number one, the heart of Judas, the betrayer. So you and I today, we know that it was Judas that would betray Jesus. But those at this dinner, we see in verse 22, it says that they were uncertain of whom he, would, of who he spoke. Showing that his disciples had no clue who Jesus was talking about when he said someone was going to betray him. The disciples, they had no earthly idea of whom this betrayer could possibly be. Which tells us and shows us that Judas was around Jesus. Like Judas spent time with Jesus and the disciples. Judas didn't speak poorly of Jesus. In fact, people saw him as a trusted follower of Jesus, but yet deep in his heart, he was a different person than he portrayed to the outside world. Like his inner life and his outer life, they didn't match. He was one thing in front of people, but someone else behind closed doors. Which shows us and reminds us of our first subpoint. We're going to have three subpoints in each of our points. Our first symptom of a hard heart. 1A, a symptom of a hard heart is to keep sin and unbelief in the dark. That's exactly what Judas did. He kept his inner life to where nobody knew the real him. Those closest to Judas, they had no clue it would be Judas to betray Jesus. He kept it all in the dark. Judas had a world of deception going on behind the disciples, but the disciples saw a well-put-together man. Again, he he, he portrayed trust on the outside, but on the inside lied deception. And what many scholars say um, is that Judas was the most well-put-together of the disciples. Like, he was the most educated of the twelve. Judas, he came from a better area, he came from a higher social class than the rest. He was well put together, and he was a classy man. He knew the talk, he knew what to say and when to say it, but behind closed doors, when nobody was watching, he was full of deception. Judas's house was full of those little baby uh, dragons and lions, but they were all hidden in the closet, and nobody knew about them. But those baby lions and dragons that he kept hidden... Uh, When they grew up, they couldn't hide in the closet anymore. They grew up growling, and they grew up breathing breathing fire, and then they turned on Judas. So that's what we see from the life of Judas. A hard heart has a house full of those baby uh, dragons and lions and knows the danger and yet doesn't tell anybody about it and simply just doesn't care. Like they're hardened to their own sin. And before we go any further, let's just think about what we know of Judas up to this point in the book of John. So Judas, um, he first came up in the book of John at the end of John 6, right after Jesus fed 5,000 people. So when, this is right when Jesus starts to kind of weed out the people, um, weeding out his, his followers. He was actually trying to make, Jesus tried to make his following smaller, not bigger. So Jesus was weeding out those that were following him to see, just, just to see those cool miracles. And he was trying to keep those who actually wanted to follow him. And it's clear at that time that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray Jesus. And this is fascinating to me. Because Jesus says in John 6, 70, Did I not choose you, the twelve? 
and yet one of you is a devil. This is right after he feeds 5,000 people, speaking of Judas, showing us that Jesus chose Judas to be close to him, knowing that he would turn him over and betray him, which that in itself is really interesting. Like, that just calls us to scratch our heads, um, but we're going to come back to that in the second point as we exalt Jesus, and then we're going to fast forward now, six chapters in John. And the next time we hear of Judas is in, is in John 12, when they're at dinner with Mary and Lazarus, celebrating that Jesus uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. And maybe you remember the story where Mary takes an expensive perfume and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Like it's, an, it's a beautiful act of worship to the Lord. And I want you to notice the parallels here from uh, John 12 with this story and our story today. To, with what we saw happen last week with how Jesus washed his disciples' feet as an act of humility. So the author of John, I think, it just kind of beautifully shows the contrast in these two stories. With Mary washing uh, Jesus' feet with her hair, and now Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. But get this, in both instances, Judas was present. Like The author of John goes out of his way to show that Judas was present. And in both instances, do you remember what brought up uh, in, in reference to Judas? It was money. So when Mary poured perfume on Jesus' feet, Judas was more concerned about the cost of the perfume being used on Jesus' feet than the act of worship to the Lord that was being done. But then in contrast, when Judas was having his feet washed by Jesus in the upper room, he didn't seem to mind at all. But interesting enough, what did John point out was on him? In verse 29 of our text today, Jesus seemed to be pouring out, pointing out his money bag. Like it was noted that, it hit, that his money bag was held close to Judas. So Judas was the guy that was trusted with the money. Like Judas was their treasurer, so to speak. They initially saw this interaction as normal, uh, but then later realized, oh wait, uh, what he was doing, it was strange. And so what ended up happening with Judas? He ended up selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so get this, Judas, he was remembered as being more concerned about money than worshiping and following Jesus. Judas worshiped money, not Jesus. Which shows us that here, here today, one of those little dragons that can easily creep into our life, and it's our money. It's how we handle our money. You know what's typically the hardest part of our life to let go of and hand over to Jesus? That's our pocketbook. And we saw that with Judas. Judas saw Jesus as a commodity to be sold, not a savior to be worshipped. Hard-hearted Judas chose money over Jesus. And I know this is convicting because I'm convicting myself right now. But, when we, let these, uh, but we must let the actions of Judas serve as a warning for us today. Because money is one of those things in our life that we have to all keep close watch on. Like we do it as a family. We also, not, not, not to mention, we also do this as a church. We take this very seriously. Like if Judas was the treasurer for the 12 disciples, you better believe no person in our church will ever wash the finances alone. Like we have high levels of accountability and every cent is accounting for. Multiple eyes and third, third party accounting firms like watching our books. Why? Because you see this all the time. Money at an organizational level can easily turn into one of those little baby lions that can grow up and eat an organization alive. God, I know this is a little intense. 
And I also know that money and resources are great gifts to be celebrated and stewarded well. But from the life of Judas today, it's, it's just for us to heed and take warning. Like in all areas of our life, we need to watch out for that because it, uh, because it can happen. If it can happen to one of Jesus' 12, it can certainly happen to us, leading us to a, another symptom of a hard heart, uh, 1B. A symptom of a hard heart is choosing money over Jesus. And I know on paper, we may never say we choose money over Jesus. But when we peel back the layers and look at it, we have to ask, what would our bank account say? What would our bank statement say? And please hear me loud and clear on this. This is not about me trying to guilt anybody. Like guilt and shame are not from the Lord. This is about shepherding our hearts. And listen to me, this is so important. If Jesus does not shepherd our hearts, our wallets, they will gladly do so. And that's what happened with Judas. He was shepherded more by money than Jesus. Judas's pocketbook drove his decision-making in his life and not Jesus. So we need to ask, how are we stewarding our resources that God has given us? I know that it's very easy for our finances to creep on us and to get our priorities for our resources out of alignment. In our family, we have regular reviews and we assess that, like what we're spending and how we're spending it because if we don't have a wrap on our resources, they will quickly have a wrap on us. And I really, I really mean this. Like giving of our resources to the local church, and, what, and when I say that, I mean like tithing and giving generously. It is absolutely not a church budget issue. This is not about the church budget when we talk about money. This is a discipleship issue. God has entrusted to us all of our resources. He has given us 100% of everything we have. It's all God's. It's not ours. He's entrusted it to us to be stewarded. And when we give of our resources generously back to the Lord, like to the local church, we're saying to God, God, I trust you. And in doing so, it's an act of worship to God. And when we give week after week or month after month, we're systematically and regularly, as as is often said, we're untying our hearts from the world and we're tying it back into the kingdom of God. We see this in uh, Matthew 6. It's the treasure principle. Where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. Like where our money goes, our hearts will then follow. And notice in Matthew 6, it doesn't say our money goes where our heart is. No, it's the other way around. It says our heart goes where our money is. And so if we want windows into our hearts, look where our money is. Y'all, money is one of the most talked about topics in the Bible. And it should not surprise us that it's talked about as much as it is this frequently because it was money that turned one of Jesus' 12 disciples away from Jesus. It wasn't logic or reason. It wasn't sex or drugs or alcohol or partying or doubt that caused Judas to turn on Jesus. It was money. And if we don't talk and teach and preach about money as a church and in our lives and with those we're close with, we're going to give room for those little baby lions and baby dragons to grow into our lives. Because again, our hearts follow our money. If we're open to talking about our hearts but not our money, then the truth is we might not really be open to talking about our hearts because they can't be separated. And we see this with Judas. Where was Judas's heart? Just follow his money. And you know where Judas' money wasn't? Certainly wasn't with Jesus. He sold Jesus. Judas' little baby dragon that he kept in his house, it was money. 
And what did it do? It became full, a full-grown, fire-breathing dragon, and it destroyed him. Again, I want to be clear. Giving of our resources does not gain us any favor with God, none whatsoever. It's just simply evidence that our hearts are softened to the ways of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. We're on the flip side, an unwillingness to release our resources to God is an indicator that our hearts may be gripped more by our money than we realize. And again, please, please, please hear me on this. This is not me trying to twist your arm to give and to guilt. This is not what it's about at all. Like, this is 100% a heart and discipleship issue and absolutely not a church budget issue. Because if it gripped the heart of one of Jesus' 12 disciples, we better be sure it has the ability to grip ours too. And I just want to take note, there's absolutely, there is also a joy in giving, and we talk about that here. And it's something to celebrate and to do cheerfully. But from the life of Judas, we're reminded of the dangers that money can have in our life. Because again, our money, it's a window into our heart. So that said, we see from the life of Judas signs of a hard heart, which we've seen. One A, keeping sin and unbelief in the dark. One B, choosing money over Jesus. And then the last sub point here for number one, which we've touched on already briefly, a symptom of a hard heart is being fed by Jesus but still following Satan. You know, I told you this sermon wasn't fun and easy, okay? There's nothing in this yet that like, makes us feel good. And as we look at the heart of Judas, it's, it's pretty convicting. But just think about this. Like Judas was sitting down at the table. He was receiving a piece of bread by the bread of life himself. Like he was being fed by Jesus. And in verse 18 and 19, it says as a prophecy, he, he ate the bread. And then immediately he ate it. It says in verse 27, uh, immediately after he ate it, it says in verse 27 that Satan entered into him. And so what I want to point out here is that Judas received gifts and blessings and provisions from Jesus. Like he ate the bread that was given to him by Jesus. Like he, he was likely sitting very close to him. Some have actually said that next, he was sitting next to him at dinner. And remember, Judas's first mention was right after Jesus fed 5,000 people, showing himself as the bread of life. And so Judas saw Jesus perform miracles. And yet as he was sitting right next to Jesus, being handed bread by the bread of life himself, Jesus, the scriptures say Satan entered into his heart. And why? Because his heart was hard. Judas was close to Jesus. He was fed by Jesus, but Jesus didn't satisfy him. He chose to be satisfied instead by the world. And that's hard. Because the reality is, at some level, this happens to all of us. Because I know that we can be in the world, reading the Word, be under the teaching of the Word, still worried and still worried about the world, and affected by the world, and still choose sin. I mean, this happens to all of us. And this is how those little dragons in our life grow into full-grown, fire-breathing killers. Like, this is how sin works. We feed those uh, little sin dragons the world... We feed them more sin instead of feeding our souls the Word of God. And the bigger those little dragons of our life get, the harder our hearts become to the things of God. Again, I could preach a sermon and say, don't be like Judas. But I think the hard part is at some level we're each more like Judas than we may realize. Again, we have what I like to call those Judas tendencies. 
We haven't fully fledged, uh, we haven't fully fledged, like we haven't rejected Jesus like Judas, but if we weren't, if it weren't for the grace of God, we'd be in the same spot as Judas. Yes, we have those uh, Judas tendencies, but the difference between a true follower of Jesus and, Ju- and Judas is the ability to exalt Jesus. And as the book of John has so vividly shown us, both Peter and Judas, they both messed up. Peter denied Jesus three times, and Judas betrayed Jesus. But you know what the difference between Judas and Peter was? It was repentance. Peter turned from his sin and turned towards God, and Peter was restored, and he exalted Jesus. But Judas, he never exalted Jesus. And Judas never turned from his sin to worship God. Judas knew all the right things to say. He looked the part, he talked the part, but he was still left out. Y'all, we could just stop here and leave super convicted of all of our Judas tendencies. But the good news of the gospel doesn't leave us in the pits. No, the good news of the gospel provides hope and healing. The good news of the gospel celebrates, number two, the heart of Jesus, the Messiah. And I say Jesus, the Messiah, intentionally here, Because right before our text today, at the end of our text from last week, Jesus prophesied. He said to his disciples that he would be betrayed uh, for the purpose of their belief in Jesus. And in verse 18 and 19, right after Jesus washes their feet, Jesus says in verse 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So in essence, Jesus told his disciples he would be betrayed before it happened. He quotes the scriptures of the coming Messiah from uh, David, saying this act, this act will happen of giving his betrayer a piece of bread, and then Jesus actually did it. And so in the middle of Jesus' betrayal, we again, number, uh, number two, see the heart of Jesus, the Messiah. He was showing himself as the Messiah for the purpose of greater belief for his disciples. That's the heart of God. In the middle of being betrayed, he wasn't focused on himself. No, he was focused on those around him believing. And so get this, Jesus wanted his betrayal to be used to advance the kingdom of God. Which brings us to our first sub-point in number two. The heart of Jesus is for his people to believe. Again, Jesus, he was in the process of being betrayed, but his heart was on his people believing in him. I want to point this out. Because God's desire for each of us, it is to believe in Jesus. Like, that's the entire point of the book of John, that we may believe in Jesus and have life in his name, which we see here also portrayed in the middle of Jesus' betrayal, showing that God uses all situations and circumstances for the purpose of building and advancing his kingdom. And so if you're here today and you have not yet believed in Jesus, believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world that came from heaven for the purpose of dying and making us clean and pure in order to make us new creation, then I want to call you to believe in Jesus today. Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested by Roman soldiers. He was whipped and tortured and hung on a cross for the sole purpose of our belief in him. Jesus, he went to incredible lengths to purchase our life for eternity. Like Jesus, uh, he wanted to make us new creations, to wash our slate clean so that we can have a relationship with God. And listen, Jesus is not some add-on to our life. 
Because without Jesus, God is not present in our life. Without Jesus, God's presence is not with us. But by believing in Jesus, we have a new life, and are, we're offered full life and direction and purpose and grace. So God's greatest desire for us is to believe in Jesus, because through our belief, we then become his children. Again, Jesus went to great lengths to purchase our life, which included planning and enduring the greatest betrayal that was ever recorded. We could say this, Jesus was betrayed for our belief. So let me ask, have you believed in Jesus? Are you, and are you following him? If not, I want to call you today to give your life uh, to Jesus. And it comes with a fresh new start. That said, I want to keep moving with something in line with this and address something that we kind of skipped over in our first point. Uh, going back to John chapter 6, we saw something very interesting with Judas. Because Jesus said he chose Judas, knowing that he would betray him which should cause us to ask the question, why would Jesus knowingly choose Judas to be in his inner circle of 12, knowing that Judas would betray him? Because I don't know about you, but if I knew someone would hurt me or betray me, I, would go, I wouldn't go out of my way to let them uh, that close to me, which in our finite minds I think is probably wise. But Jesus, see, he sees all, and he knows all. He sees the greater picture. And so I find this fascinating. Like, Jesus didn't just let Judas in to be nice. No, John chapter 6 shows us that Jesus chose Judas because he knew he would betray him. Like, that's exactly why he chose him. He chose Judas for the purpose of being betrayed by him. Jesus chose Judas, choosing to be betrayed, which should lead us to ask the question, why? And to answer, we see because in doing so, Jesus made the path for himself to be handed over in order to go to the cross. Jesus chose Judas to make a way for the cross to become a reality, showing us yet again that Jesus chose the cross. Jesus chose on his own terms to die. Like Jesus was not captured by the soldiers that Judas turned him into apart from God's sovereign plan. No, Jesus willingly allowed it to happen. And in fact, he planned it to happen the exact way that it did. You know, there's a little book called Spectacular Sins by John Piper uh, that talks about this idea of how Jesus used some of the most uh, spectacular sins of people, like the sin of Judas betraying Jesus to then exalt himself. We see this in Genesis 50:20. It says, "What the enemy means for evil, God uses for our good." I mean, this happens often throughout the Bible, and we see it here again with Jesus and Judas. Jesus used Judas's betrayal for his own purposes, leading us to see more of God's heart in our second subpoint. The heart, uh, letter B, the heart of Jesus is for our for God's glory and our good. I've said this in the past, and I'll say it again here. This reminds us that Satan is playing checkers while Jesus is playing chess. Like Jesus is always 10 steps ahead of his enemy, showing us that Jesus is totally sovereign over Satan. Like we see in our passage that as soon as Satan entered Judas, what did Jesus do? He gave Satan orders and he commanded him. Jesus speaks directly to Judas where Satan now resides and says, what you plan to do, do quickly. And what happened? 
Satan did exactly as Jesus asked. Satan saw an opportunity, but the opportunity Jesus gave him played into God's ultimate plan. Jesus' enemy listened and obeyed his orders, because within just a few hours after Jesus finished teaching, Jesus was quickly arrested by Judas' band of soldiers. And in doing so, it reminds us that even Satan is under the hands of God. Satan's disobedience was used as a tool in the hands of God, uh, of God himself. Showing God's power and authority and, glo- and glory over all things, as Paul talks about in the book of Colossians, while also showing and reminding us here today that even in some of our hardest and darkest moments, God is using those to make us more like himself, to then also exalt Jesus in us. New City Church, there's no doubt in my mind that some of our hardest moments, maybe we've been through or are currently in, will also be the ways in which God uses us, or God uses the most. Maybe we could say it this way. Our greatest pitfalls are often used by God to be our greatest assets in the kingdom of God. This is just how the kingdom of God works. God takes our weaknesses and pitfalls that seem to be wielded and caused by the fall of man and maybe even the sin of others, and God then uses those things in us and through us for his purposes. Again, what the enemy means for evil, God uses for our good. Here are just a few examples of how this could possibly play out. What if you have a history of being regularly rejected by people, like a terrible thing that's just not fun? and possibly sin from others to you. But yet in that and through that, what if God has wielded you and shaped you to not reject others, but rather wholeheartedly welcome people in as a blessing to the kingdom of God? How about this? What if the life and story you have lived, the ongoing struggle maybe that you faced, whether with sin or relationships or work or with sickness, whatever it is, What if God is doing a work in you to then be able to bring hope to those around you? Again, what if God desires to use our greatest heartache to be our greatest tool used in the hands of God? If Jesus can use and redeem Judas' betrayal for his own good to redeem a broken world, we can trust that he can use our heartache and pain and struggle for his good and sovereign purposes. We may not see it or understand it or know why, but in the struggle... We can trust God has a plan to exalt himself that will be for our greater good. And so in all of this, uh, we see God's ultimate power and infinite wisdom and goodness put on full display. But I do want to also say, through the story of Judas, yes, we see God's ultimate authority and plan playing out. We see his power over the enemy in the end, but we also see the softer side of Jesus in our passage leading to our last subpoint. The heart of Jesus is gentle. Maybe you've heard the book called Gentle and Lowly. And as we've we've gone through all of this with Judas, I couldn't help but see the same heart shown as he interacts with his betrayer. So let's just think about what Jesus did not do with Judas. Jesus did not publicly reprimand him or shame him or call him out or ridicule him. I mean, the disciples, they had no clue that it was Judas until after it happened. And so what did Jesus do for Judas? He washed his feet. He served him food. He spoke privately to him, not making a scene about his betrayal. Jesus was incredibly gentle with Judas, 
while also totally showing his power over the entire situation, which to me is fascinating because it shows us that he is both powerful and mighty and also gentle and patient. Jesus displayed a gentle fierceness about him, which for us, it should be so encouraging because it tells us that when we turn our backs on Jesus in our sin and disobedience, he won't shame us or talk down to us. But rather, he will be gentle and patient with us. And he says, come and just sit with me. Come and let me wash your feet and feed you. While at the same time displaying and holding the full power to slay our dragons and lions and to fight for, your, for our sin. Showing us that Jesus doesn't slay us. No, he slays our dragons. He helps us fight our sin while holding us close with care and mending our souls. The heart of Jesus is gentle when we come to him with everything, even a hidden closet full of dragons. Like Jesus can handle it. So that said, I want to I end with this. You know, over the past several weeks, we've seen two examples of two people who've messed up. We, we've mentioned already both Judas and Peter. But as we said, there was a difference in the two. Peter sought to exalt Jesus where Judas did not. And Peter turned back to Jesus, and uh, Judas did not. And we saw at the end of John, Peter saw Jesus' gentleness and was restored by it. But as we see at the end of verse 30, it says, Judas immediately went out, and then it says, and it was night. Peter was restored by Jesus, by his gentleness. Peter stayed with the light of Jesus. He saw his amazing grace and his loving care, but Judas walked away from Jesus and went into the dark of the night. Judas chose his dragons and lions over Jesus, but Peter let Jesus slay his dragons and lions. And so let me ask, what will we do? Will you come to the heart of Jesus that wants to mend your soul and be restored, or will you walk away from it hardened? I pray that you choose the light of Jesus. He's calling us to come to him. Let's pray. God, your, your goodness is shown even in your darkest moment. God, your care for our souls, your care for each and every single one of us in here, God, you do not shame us, but yet you just call us to come to, him, come to us and just say, come and sit with me. God, we pray that you would soften each of our hearts that we would just, just come to you and see the gentleness of your love and care as we bring just the messiness of our life to you. God, you desire to restore us and mend us. God, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.